As a business professional, mastering social media is no longer a nice-to-have set of skills, but a fundamental need in order to advance your career and exceed goal. A lot of people are interested in learning social selling techniques for revenue generation, network building, and maybe even to advance their thought leadership. But what is actually needed is a practical and repeatable system to digitally transform whole teams. Teams that commit to creating meaningful digital communities and learn how to leverage social media to turn relationships into sales online far outperform their competitors. And companies that commit to investing in their teams to increase their personal social influence reap the benefit of increased brand awareness and positive upticks in company reputation. Social media is natural. It's cost-effective, and it's an easily leveraged tool at anyone's disposal. What is lacking is an effective and proven system that trains sales, marketing, HR, and executives alike to move from social selling to complete digital transformation and into digital dominance. Our 12-week social selling course is a practical, hands-on experience. It's taken over time specifically to address the needed mindset shifts, the changes in habits and behaviors, and all of this while implementing new skills. You will learn how to network effectively and at scale, build rapport with targeted audiences, expand your influence, and become the go-to authority in your area of expertise. So this is not a quick tips and tricks for LinkedIn success flash in the pan. It's a commitment to changing the way you show up online and experience career-shifting breakthroughs. This is expert instruction in small cohorts with personalized one-on-one coaching. If you're interested, go learn more at littlebirdmarketing.com slash social hyphen influence. Welcome to Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast. With you, as always, I'm Priscilla McKinney. I am the Mama Bird and CEO over here. I'm just going to give you a warning that today's going to be fun. So if you are not up for fun, then just go ahead and move to the other podcast now. But I have with me today, Kim Fur in quotes, Flannery Rye. And because we are a podcast and we're not on video, you are totally missing the most righteous hairdo that Kimfer has. So I'm sorry, but go look her up online. You'll really appreciate it. She is the founder and DEI and culture practitioner for Inclusion Equals. They are a social enterprise focused on the idea I-D-E-A, watch this, this is very clever marketing. Here we go. (laughs) Inclusion equals diversity plus equity plus accessibility. And that is the model to build culture from the inside out. Obviously, she's an amazing dynamic speaker. She's seen all over the place. We're gonna talk about that in a little bit, but she is entrepreneurial in spirit. She's an intensely creative mind and she has service at the core, at the heart of everything she's doing. She is an absolute seasoned professional with lots of experience in design, digital marketing, organizational and leadership development, just to rattle off a few. So Kimfer, <laughs> welcome to Ponderings from the Perch. Thank you, Priscilla. I'm so excited to be here and have this chat with you today. I think everybody knows that I do everything that Patrick Oshlosky says to do. 
Patrick's. <laughs> <laughs> he connected us, and I'm so happy to have you on here. We're going to have a very simple conversation in some ways, but in other ways, a very complicated conversation. I want to hear from you. You're right at the cusp of what is going on with DI. We're going to talk about that today, and hopefully it'll interest people in a different way. We're not going to talk about it in all the normal ways. And for those of you who feel like, oh, I don't want to hear this again, or this seems to be a recurring issue, I promise you we're going to come at it from a different way. But before we do that, I am going to call attention and just throw us off course right from the beginning to an amazing photo that is on the header of your LinkedIn page. And if you want to find her, it's Kim, K-I-M, and then it has it in quotes, K-I-M-F-E-R, and her last name is together, Flannery Rye, F-L-A-N-E-R-Y hyphen Rye, R-Y-E. So please find her online. But tell us about this photo, Kimfer, because it is the most awesome photo of you on a panel at Davos. Say more. I know, right? I have to say, I have been so grateful that I've been invited to Davos And for those of you, that's the World Economic Forum that occurs annually for the last two years. And we'll be going back in 2024 as well. I've been speaking with a powerhouse of women on the stage for the female quotient, who also, for those of you who don't know, they are also powerhouse women disrupting places in where it's male-dominated. So they started out as really a disruptor to make sure that they created a safe space for women when you're in a male-dominated space, which also is pretty much everywhere. But that explains uh, your life and that explains my life. Welcome. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I had this lovely opportunity a few years back when I met one of my like close friends now. Her name is Hawani. And Wani is part of what's called the Master's Fund, which is a VC group actually founded by two also powerhouse women. They are predominantly funding women in technology. They have a model in which it's not your traditional male-dominated VC type of model. And so it's a really lovely place. And one of the things that they are trying to do, not only are they trying to fund women who are starting businesses or in leadership positions in businesses. They're also trying to place women on their boards. So it's a multifold things happening. That is supposed to be the natural consequence, but unfortunately, that's not. (laughs) So people talk about things a lot, but the actual change needs to come from the change on the boards and really getting people to have that agency and the authority sitting from a power position. So yeah, absolutely. I'd love to say that's what's happening as a result, but I am looking forward and very hopeful that as you talk more at the World Economic Forum, that we do see this become more and more of a reality. So let's get into the big topic of today, because you are honestly the best person I can think of to talk to about this. So tell us about that misconception of what people think DEI is, (laughs) and then give it to us in the positive. What really is DEI done right at an organization? Honestly, there was a line in the sand that happened during the pandemic, which we all know the tragedy of the murder of George Floyd. And I always think of DEI, there's a pre-DEI before George Floyd's murder and post-DEI after George Floyd's murder. Unfortunately, there's a lot of things that go into DEI and for Folks that are out there, they're like, oh, I'm so exhausted, tired of talking about DI. There's this whole idea of this exhaustion around it. And I have to say, to be honest, that means you have the privilege to 
step back and be like, I'm tired of it. I'm going to step back. For many of us, there's no really way to step back. For example, since you can't see me, this is not visual. I am an Asian American woman. I'm sorry, but I cannot replace my face and be like, <laughs> I can step out of it. And so if, there's- if you ever want to replace your hair, though, Kimfer, just send it right on over to me. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> Thank you. For those of you, I have right now pink hair that goes all the way through purple down to blue. So it's in a trifecta color right now. It's my mermaid it. slash unicorn hair. Anyway, so I think with DI, there's a lot of the misconception is DI is only focused on internal learning, changing the internal person, which is true. It is true, but there's a parallel path that has to happen if you really want to make systemic changes in the way that we live in our society and also within our organizations. And so majority of us spend most of our time, if we are lucky enough, privileged enough to work in a workplace. And so for me, that's where also a lot of the systemic issues are. Workplaces, governments, you name it, any large structure in the U.S. historically. When we think about DEI, yes, you can do so much as an internal person getting to learn and doing all of that. I think there's been like tremendous amount of bias training, microaggressions training, privilege training, you name it. There's allyship. However, how many people are taking that information and then learning how to do or what to do with it in a practical terms at work in your workplaces with the systems in place that keeps things in that status quo scenario. And so for me, what's been interesting is that even before the pre-George Floyd, the line in the sand I was talking about, I was already working in systems DEI. So working in DEI, we're looking at where are the systems in which in within your organization that are causing some of the status quo to continue to happen? And so it is really about a business strategy. And it is not so when you think about it in a personal level learning, that's when people think of DEI as this thing that sits over here on the sidelines because it's about learning and development. Yes, for sure. That's one of it. But when you then have to look at it as a business strategy, you cannot extract DEI out of the things. It has to be integrated with the lens in which you have to look at everything from the business. Okay. So let's come back to that important World Economic Forum conversation we were just yeah. having because if people were truly having that learning experience on a personal level and they were able to then show up to work in that way and could affect change, the natural thing would be that the organization would change. But there's a disconnect there because a lot of times the people who are learning and changing are not the people who have the power in the organization. And so what we were talking about, wouldn't that be wonderful and organic? But that's not the reality. And yeah, so because of absolutely. that, we have to go from the top down and we have to make systemic changes and say, for example, with those boards, you know what? We are going to find parity with women. We are going to find representation from people of color. We are going to have different, maybe even cultural backgrounds. We are going to, whatever it is, it's not, it can be age. There's just so much to the diversity conversation. And I do agree with you oftentimes if I could just hearken back a little bit to political correctness and maybe yes. what we all went through with that and saying there are certain things that people began to realize they could not say. They begin to have certain personal learnings, but it also taught organizations and taught people with power how to also make it sound 
like they were, but yet the inside had not changed. And in fact, the system and the organization itself had not changed in order to include, in that case, women. And so I do see that there is a correlation to that with diversity and inclusion and equity is this idea of now we're getting good at talking about it, but that doesn't mean we're getting really great and making significant change. So when you are talking to people and you're being asked to speak, what are people asking you about DEI and what's next? And what are those conversations sounding like? Yeah, it all varies depending on because DEI has been moving so rapidly. If you think about it in the sense of how long data take us, to really think about sustainability in organizations. Now it's standard, you have sustainability reports, but even that there's still a long tail that's happening years and years. DEI had this really interesting, like just squinch time that occurred because again, we had this major moment, although we know there were moments before this just happened in the way that the world was at the time, this massive right, change. Right. And so what's been happening now is people asking, how do we deal with the lashback of the EI? That's been the newest question that's been coming up. Before it was things like, oh my gosh, like this pronouns, that was a big thing and how to help what we think about in the trans community and these very in, uh, specific scenarios in which people's way of thinking or people's way of understanding, you were asked to change. And you're like, but it's so hard for me. I'm like, yes, that's what change is all about. <laughs> but if you're able to, in any business, like technology changes, words change, we're in words, marketing conversation changes, your SEO key search words change. But you see, people seem to be able to keep up with that. But for some reason, when it comes to DI, people are like, oh, it's exhausting. Why is it moving and changing constantly? And it's that whole idea of like, how do, ultimately what people are getting to the heart is, how do it make me not feel bad? Mm. That's what they're really asking. How do I right. feel good, do good without really doing the hard work and not make me feel bad while I'm doing it? No one is ever saying that to me, but that's really what people are trying to get at. Let's take a quick break so I can tell you about this show's sponsor. Hi, Priscilla McKinney here, Mama Bird and CEO at Little Bird Marketing. I'm so excited to announce, finally, my book is out. Collaboration is the new competition. Why the future of work rewards a cross-pollinating hive mind and how not to get left behind. So what's the book about? <laughs> the impetus was really about a gap that I saw in the business vernacular about how we need to work together to get ahead and have much bigger wins. I think it's super important right now because there is a growing need for collaboration in the business world. And I made this book super practical. In fact, the chapters tell you how many minutes it's going to take for you to get through them. I know you're busy, but these kinds of ideas are going to, I hope, permeate into your thought process and help you get ahead quicker. The first part of the book is about what is the state of affairs in business and why I believe collaboration is really needed. And it also goes on to explain these are the fundamentals that need to happen so you can have collaboration. So once you set yourself up for the win, then it's not always smooth sailing. And I finished the last half of the book giving you seven different anchors that you can use as a practical tool in order to make sure you stay on course. So in a time when business has never been more complicated, 
This book offers a fresh and, in my opinion, much-needed perspective. It moves away from that idea of linear success and instead brings people together to give you a competitive advantage. Visit PriscillaMcKinney.com for more information. And we can be so bold in this conversation. I do to think that a lot of people feel like, but I'm not offending someone. I'm not trying. That's not who I am. That's not what I'm trying to do. And they don't seem to understand. Yes, but it's not enough to just come into the room and not offend. There also is a need to just be aware and to be intentional and set a system so that doesn't happen. It's a very different thing. And I I do agree with you. This is about an entire system that is affecting a massive change. And we are all small little pieces of it. And I love it. I've never had someone say this, Kimfer, that we all are dealing with so much change on so many levels. It's AI, it's digital comms, it's remote teams. And you're right, this George Floyd thing happened, what, about May 2020? And talk about like, where were we all? in May 2020 freaking out. And it wasn't just about race. And these race issues have been with us forever. And the police issues have been with us forever. Just when I think, oh, times are bad now, then I go back and I watch the Vietnam documentary and I'm like, no, actually it was really scary then. Yeah. We're built on it, right? We're built on the idea of what it means to be racial. So that is literally America. But yeah, this idea of DEI, the kind of questions are really fascinating to me because it shifts as our society is shifting. So right now, the big questions, like I said, is what I just mentioned, but also we're going to be going into another round of political arena. So then it's like, how do we have conversations? And then the other thing that's really happened is a lot of folks that traditionally had power within organizations now feeling like they don't belong in the organization. So belonging scores and organizations have shifted, which is really fascinating to watch. And so it's that whole idea of, I think some folks feel like, oh, someone stole my cheese. Like Mm -hmm. they came into my playground and now I don't get to rule the roost anymore. And so if I say anything, then it's going to be offensive. So I can't say anything. So I'm now don't have a place to belong in my organization or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so that's been a fascinating thing to work with clients saying, what and how do we deal with those? kind of responses. Mm -hmm. And the question is, what does belonging inclusion mean to you as an organization? Especially if you are a for-profit organization, you have your own value systems, your own systems in which you have a contract with your employees who you people come to your organization for certain things, people leave your organizations for certain things. So there is this idea of like, how are you defining What is it that you're defining and how is it are you defining within your organization? But yeah, it's an ever-changing process in this questions. There's just, I feel like there's, as we're evolving, new ones are constantly coming up. So I guess the message here is change. It's what's for breakfast. So get over it, people. (laughs) Change is constant. And I think this is a good way of seeing it, Kim, for I like this idea of, yes, have your personal journey, but then there is a very different journey as for me as a CEO, I have to go on a very different journey that is could not necessarily run exactly parallel with my own personal one. But I need to be mindful, awake and alive to what's going on in both of those in order to participate in the change, which is, it's got to take a lot of patience because these things are not going to change overnight. But let me ask you this, what do you wish people were asking? And what do you wish people were talking about? What's the thing that kind of gets left out, you think, maybe because they're scared or maybe because they just don't know to ask? Yeah, I want people to ask beyond diversity. 
people are still stuck. Even when I say diversity, equity, and inclusion, people still get stuck on diversity and diversity only. And when we talk about diversity, we're really talking about the binary often. It's like black or white, men or women, like the really right. binary stuff. I wish that people would ask these questions about intersectionality is a massive thing. So for me, like I said, you look at me, Asian woman, sure. But is it my Asianness or is it my womanness or is it an intersection of the two? And then on top of that, there's multiple layers. I went through poverty twice, once in South Korea and then once again when I moved to the U.S. But I am socially, economically very sound right now. That has a different kind of experience for me going in and out of privilege too. And right. so this idea of what is this nuance that comes with individuals, so it's beyond just this idea of binary diversity is understanding more of the depth, like beyond, oh, what do we talk about beyond the whole, the bias, the privilege and all of mm -hmm. that? But what's the next down? I feel like we've already done the 101. We've done DEI 101. Can we at least get to DEI 201, 301? What it is? So can we get to a college level, <laughs> like graduate <laughs> level? When can we get to a graduate level? And so I think my big thing is having people who truly ask, how do we change systems when it's just me? And the thing is, even individuals sometimes will feel powerless. It's like in the political system sometimes, right? Does my one vote really count? Yes, it can. And so the idea is, can you go beyond just the intrinsic learning and start getting some of those practical ways that you can take back to the systems in which you live in? Could be your work, could be your church, could be your networking group, could be your community, could be your children's school. There are ways in which you can ask questions or maybe learn how to put some of those practicalities into it. And it could be just as simple as starting, depending on where you are in your level. There are certain things if you are, let's say we're going to talk about work more specifically right now. At a workplace, if you are an individual contributor and you are more of a junior level, entry level kind of position, you're probably more going to be asking questions versus when you are in more of the senior level, you're going to be implementing so making the changes happening to make the implementations occur, making sure the budgets are available at that senior level, and then there are moments in which you implement. But even if you are at the early stages in your career, you could ask, hey, I got hired here. I'm wondering, what was your hiring practices like? How do you remove biases? So that way, how did I even get hired here? What does the practice look like? So oh, that way, Kimber, that we ensure I love that. that. I love that. To me, that also talks about a culture or a system where someone can ask a question. But I know for me, like I just twitched when you said that because I have had people who are incredibly diverse backgrounds obviously get hired here. And then I get that email that rips me a new one about something. And I'm like, why don't you just ask what we've done in DEI? Yeah. I'll tell you every single thing. Also, P.S., minority-owned women business. I'm like, okay, that's funny. But it is really interesting. Like, we have to talk openly about this. On one hand, I absolutely want the conversation, but I also don't want to be attacked and have someone telling me, you're not doing enough, you're not doing enough. It's like, why don't you just ask me what we're doing? And would have loved that conversation. Tell me how I got hired here. 
Yeah. I don't look like everyone else. Tell me how that came about. Oh my gosh, what a beautiful conversation that could be. So I do think that what you're saying, I think there's something really beautiful there is just because you're not the person in power doesn't mean you can't affect change. And I think that's Mm -hmm. what you're saying by saying, how can I make change when it's just me? (laughs) There is an amazing way to go about it. And I do think it's as simple as asking questions. For sure. I would say frontline employees or employees, ICs, individual contributors, whenever I have workshops or conversations or I'm brought into organizations, I usually break it out to what do you do when you're in this role? What do you do if you're in this role, et cetera? And that role as individual contributors is your ways that you can participate in DIA is holding your leaders accountable by asking wow. those questions, asking them to be transparent, showing those reports and data points, and really doing that kind of part. First, then when you're in, again, in the executive leadership roles, are you really putting budgets to it? Are you really integrating it into your business strategies as part of your KPI, your whatever you might be that you're keeping? And then also if you're in mid-management or like head of various departments, are you doing the things in which you're doing audits and looking at your practices to see if you've removed as much of the systemic biases and ways in which organizations just, again, are we just doing the status quo? Or why not? So there's ways an individual people can make a difference in a systems way. I love that. So we want to move a little bit off diversity and let's just talk just for kicks about equity. To me, a very simple thing that people can do. I'm a very small company and all the way up. And one thing that has gained good traction is the idea of transparency in pay equity. And I think it's a very simple thing, obviously hard to do on a small team, but to be perfectly honest, it's hard to do on a big team. So it's just hard. Let's just all get over it. But even creating these pay bans where people understand it's this many years of experience. There's ways to actually make it equitable across the board, but I am not telling you, I know you're just going to break out in hives when I tell you this, but (laughs) if I had a nickel for every time a female interviewing with me said to me either, I might want to have a kid next year or, oh, I don't need to worry about the pay. My husband has a good job or something like this that basically to tell on themselves. And I'm like, no, please no. And I just stopped the interview. I'm like, Never tell an employer this in an interview. Let's just stop here and let's have a teachable moment. And I hope that has been heard loud and clear. We need to talk about this, whether obviously what you were saying, Kim, for you can't change your face. You're going to show up to the interview. Everybody's going to see what you're coming with. But there are things where we also betray that equity movement when we say things like that, when we participate in those it's just the way it is. She's going to, maybe yeah. she'll give me this job if she knows that I'm not going to need the healthcare. I was like, no, yeah. <laughs> you're undoing it for us all. Stop. <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty amazing in the way. Here's the thing about it is that women's empowerment, for example, as one of the areas is a really important aspect. I've already talked about it. The thing is that we still live in a very patriarchal society. And so just because we're women doesn't mean that we don't perpetuate the patriarchal way of things are done. So even like that, how we are Mm -hmm. participating, even though we're the ones who are typically the ones being ultimately punished within the organization. But we also punish each other sometimes because even in annual reviews, it's amazing. Women fall into the same kind of trap that men do when they assess women. 
And so we really need to understand. So the thing is, personal learning is important, but this practical learning about how it happens across the board is really important to really break those things down. I love that. And I don't want to end this conversation without giving you a moment to reflect on what we should be talking about and asking about when it comes to accessibility. What are your thoughts? Oh, boy. So probably one of the forgotten areas, but I think more and more conversations are happening definitely around neurodiversity right now. And so that is an area people are quite confused how to approach that per se. But Accessibility goes all around. So for me, coming from a digital marketing agency background, there's all kinds of digital accessibility that you need to think about. So you can get an audit done in which you can check to make sure that are your images all tagged appropriately. Make sure your color contrasts are done. And those are just some basic stuff. If you're an organization that has a lot of events, are you making sure that you are not only in ADA accessible building, but actually designing around where people can walk around that space in an accessible way? Are you making sure that you are having captioning available? There's so many ways in which accessibility is really gets forgotten because it is a world dominated by folks that don't have to deal with it. And ableism is what drives so much of everything. And so it's this idea is that it is part of DEI, obviously, because it is part of equity when you talk about accessibility. But I call it out specifically because it is something that gets sort of... (laughs) Yes, well, um, and and not everybody has that opportunity. But a year ago, I began working with Kate Hamilton and she has hearing disability. And she actually does virtual coaching with me and for my company. And I just was like, oh, tell me more. What do I need to do? And she just walked me through step by step. How do I have to get that closed captioning on? How do I have to make sure people turn their cameras on? She needs to be able to read lips. And just, and I just, I'm like, I don't know. So just start from the beginning and tell me, and then let's bake it into our system to make sure that every single Zoom call is created like this. And I would just encourage people, you don't have to come from a place of knowing, but the moment you encounter that, it is that sense of, okay, start me at the beginning. I'm not going to run away from it. It's very uncomfortable, but tell me what makes you comfortable. And being able to then get this amazing work out of her. And of course, I get all these responses back like, oh, amazing session today. And she does a great job. But I would really miss that if I had not accommodated that. And truly, I even hate that word, like I'm accommodating her. No, I'm basically accommodating our system in order to be able to get her. Yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. And to get her talent. Otherwise, we would lose out. So I just encourage people, if you are saying, yeah, but that's never happened to me. Okay, but it will happen to you at some point. I happened to go to the post office today and there's a hearing disabled gal who's worked there forever. And there's just a reminder. Can you just put your chin up so she can see your lips and read them? And it's just like just small little reminders to help people out a little bit and make this world just so much more accessible. But don't be afraid because... Yeah. And on what you were talking about, some of the adjustments that you've made under advisory from her is that If you can approach it like that, rather than making it personalized, oh my God, I'm a bad person that I didn't do that. I think that's the big thing with DEI and some of the other areas of business is that people take it in so much where they intrinsically all of a sudden they're feeling guilty and shame and all that versus, oh, you know what? I didn't have a very good SEO strategy. Let me (laughs) tweak that. Oh, I did not have a very good accessibility strategy. Oh, we need to change that. So if we can start like 
oh, tempering down that emotional surge that we get and really think about DEI in some ways in those physical practicum areas, which is why I like call myself a practitioner, just bringing the practicality into how we do some of these things so that we lower that emotional tension that sometimes DEI can stir up for people which is why when you're doing a lot of only internal stuff, that's where the turmoil and that stuff comes out. It, the more you can look at it from a systematically systems and way that you approach process, policies, et cetera, you can lower some of that anxiety as well. Right. Oh, I love that. And it is just giving yourself a little bit of that grace. That's how our system was yesterday. That's not the way our system is tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> that's all there is. Improve it, it, tweak it, just keep on moving forward. Iterative. It's ever changing. Right. I love it. Tell people how they can reach you. Obviously, you're on LinkedIn. I want them to reach out there and start following along. You have amazing posts. And also, then they'll get to see your wicked cool hair. Uh, so there's that benefit. <laughs> but Yeah, my uh, hair is you... ever-changing, everyone. And so we'll probably keep, if we'll you want to <laughs> yeah, follow the hair trends, then you can find me on Instagram at the company page, which is at inclusion equals and or my personal one at my chemisms. And then also you can find me on my website, inclusionequals.com, where you will see our services and the way that we approach. But yeah, LinkedIn is, although I took a little hiatus during the summer and I'm slowly got, coming back because I also believe in rest and it's been a while since I've taken a rest, but I do, I put in a lot of, I call them little micro learning sessions. And so I do put little tidbits out there for people to absorb information. And so follow me along and LinkedIn is probably the best way to get some of those tips and tricks. I love it. And to use this word, but you do make this idea accessible. And it, yeah. just like taking all of that guesswork, taking all that shame out of it, just saying, what do you need to know? Let's take the next step for you. All of the different peeps here at Little Bird Marketing are so appreciative of your time. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day and happy marketing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.